Jeremiah chapter 38, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, he who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore, the princess said to the king, please. Let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city in the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Then Zedekiah, the king said, look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now, Ebed, Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from their old clothes and old rags and let them down by the ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah. If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, The God of Israel. If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire and you and your house shall live. 
But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire and you shall not escape from their hand. And Zedekiah, the king, said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause the city to be burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know of these words and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you and they come to you and say to you, declare to us now what you have said to the king and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. And you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been heard. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And he was there when Jerusalem was taken. In the last few chapters of Jeremiah, we've discussed the broad themes of the inspiration of the Bible, the proclamation of the word of God, the preservation of the story of God's word. We've also seen how God's word was dishonored, how God's word was protected in chapter 36, and now how God's word is being rejected in chapters 37 and 38. In the earlier chapter, in chapter 37, Jeremiah has been falsely accused of desertion. And now Jeremiah is charged with dissension in chapter 38. The chapter contains foes and friends and a final meeting with a wishy-washy king. Warren Wiersbe writes, quote, there's no problem so big or complicated that it can't be run away from. So read a piece of graffiti that was found on a London wall in 1979, probably adopted from the Peanuts comic strip by Charles Schultz. Whatever the source, the statement represents King Zedekiah's approach to the terrible problems in Judah when the enemy was at the gates, unquote. And that's part of the reality that we're facing. We can't run away from our problems forever, but Zedekiah thinks that you can. Make no mistake about it. At some point, we have to face the problem. We have to face the crisis. And you can't solve the problem by running away. Unless you're going to run 
straight into the arms of the Savior. In this chapter, we've given a glimpse of a mysterious character, Ebed, Melech, who in many ways will remind us of the Lord Jesus. But let's begin with the foes. Look at verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pajur, Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pajur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to the people. These are four princes who are enraged that Jeremiah was released from the prison and given the opportunity to speak God's word. So the chapter is going to open up with them quoting from Jeremiah's sermon. As a matter of fact, when I was doing research for this particular chapter, I came across a royal seal. This is posted At the royal seal of Jeremiah's accusers found, this is a a posting of two seals. It says that during the last days of the kingdom of Judah, the prophet Jeremiah warned the residents of Jerusalem of their impending captivity at the hands of the Babylonian army. But instead of heeding that warning message, the princes of King Zedekiah's administration attacked the messenger and plunged him into the depths of a dungeon. One of Jeremiah's accusers, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, has his name stamped on a small clay seal. Dr. Elliot Matsar, one of Israel's top archaeologists, was digging near the southern end in the city of David. And he went under, she went underneath the wall, the retaining wall that had at first been built by, of all people, Nehemiah, and came to the lair of where Nebuchadnezzar had come and burnt the city. And underneath it, they found this seal. Mentioned right here in Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 1. As a matter of fact, the first seal says inscribed in the Hebrew language. It's actually Aramaic. Gedalia, son of Pasher. In the next seal, it says Jehukal, son of Shelemiah. You know what's interesting about that? That no matter where you go in the Middle East, with each piece of dirt that the archaeologist Spade uncovers, It validates what the Bible has to say. You know, there are many people who would like you to believe that this is all a bunch of nonsense. It's a myth that was written in order to satisfy the longing of human hearts. The reality, not a single archaeological discovery has ever been made that has undermined the Bible. All it has done is validated it. By the way, if you look for the same archaeological treasures in order to authenticate things like the Book of Mormon. Do you know how many sacred seals have been found in North and Central and South America that confirm the Book of Mormon? Uh, That would be zero. There's opposition to Jeremiah. They quote in verse 2, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Now you can imagine that if you are on the last days of a long-lasting siege, this sounds like treason. The problem? It's still true. 
Thus says the Lord, this city shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore, the princess said to the king, please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. That's false. We've already learned that if anyone cares about the welfare of the people of Judah and Jerusalem, it's the prophet Jeremiah. Why is he Proclaiming the message. Is it so that the people will live or so that the people will die? It's so that they'll live. And it also is true of you. When your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your friend says, why do you keep telling me about Jesus? Why do you keep talking about the problem of sin? Why do you keep encouraging me to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior? And they hate, they hate it when you say, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want things to end badly for you. I want things to end good for you. The princes demand Jeremiah's death. They claim that he's weakening the men's morale and resolve because they're tasked to defend the city. As a matter of fact, there's another archaeological discovery called the Lakish Letters that describes the influence of these princes on King Zedekiah. The letters were probably written just shortly before Lakish fell to the Babylonian army during the reign of Zedekiah. And the, the letter read like this, to my Lord Yaosh, who is thy servant, but a dog that the Lord hath sent the letter of the king and the letters of the princes saying, pray, read them. And behold, the words of the princes are not good, but weaken our hands. What's surprising about the Lakish letters, he uses the same terminology that's used here in verse four. That the princes were actually weakening the hand of the king and they're accusing Jeremiah of lowering the men's morale. Of creating a mechanism where people no longer had the will to fight. But in verse 5 it says, Then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So with King Zedekiah we see a weak-willed, compromised coward. He's a jellyfish. And if you follow Zedekiah, you'll note that whatever a person says, he seems to agree with it. Who, if Jeremiah says something, he listens and he seems to agree. If these, if these people talk to him, he listens and he agrees. And this character flaw is going to, in a moment, help Ebed-Melech, who is going to help Jeremiah and rescue him from the miry pit. If there's any advantage of a weak-willed, spineless jellyfish, it's... They're influenced by the next conversation. So it says in verse 6, Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. You might ask the question, why don't they just kill him? Why don't they just execute him right here, right now, on the spot? What do you suppose the answer to that question is? Do you realize that the Bible forbids the shedding of innocent blood? Has Jeremiah committed a crime? No. 
Is he really guilty of treason? No. What is he guilty of? Hearing from God and telling the truth. And by the way, they could easily, wonderfully, completely, unequivocally kill him on the spot if the Babylonian army disappears and they live in peace and prosperity. The problem with the prophet's words, they're true. The problem with your words, when you talk to your family and your friends about the Bible, when you open it up, when you tell them that there is a solution to the problem of sin, that people can experience a right relationship with God, as much as many people will resist it and resist you, the message is true. And so it says in verse 6, so they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the dungeon. And it says, in which was the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. The reason why they're telling you that he is in the dungeon. The dungeon here isn't like a prison cell that you would see in a movie where you've got bars and you've got a little prison cell. What it is, it's a cistern. In the ancient days, and particularly in Jerusalem, it's part of a limestone mountain. And they would dig a hole 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 feet. They would hollow it out of limestone. And that's one of the reasons why they're letting down Jeremiah down with ropes. Here, when it says, and in the dungeon there was no water, think a tube that's maybe 100 to 120 feet long. At the bottom of this cistern, there's no water. All of the water that could be used has been exhausted. What is at the bottom of the cistern is a filthy concoction of refuse and mud. Think sludge. But I want you to think of something even worse than sludge. I grew up in Southern California in the Mojave Desert where you didn't have a sewage system. We had one of those great big, what are those things called that they dig a hole and they stick it in the hole and that's where the sewage goes? Septic tank. We had a septic tank. I don't know if you've ever had a septic tank and then the septic tank overflows. I don't know if you've ever smelt raw sewage, but that's what this is. Think of raw Sewage. Think of a pit. Think about being lowered into that pit. Think about your feet disappearing into the sewage and then your knees disappearing into the sewage and then your waist disappearing into the sewage and then your armpits coming up to the sewage. And it's pitch black. The evil princes have put Jeremiah into the deep pit to die a slow agonizing gruesome death they're hoping that his body will start to deteriorate and literally begin to decompose right off of his flesh sometimes Sin does exactly this to us. It, it places us into a deep pit. 
David writes about it in Psalm chapter 40, verse 2. You'll remember David writes, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet on the rock. He's established my steps. In the book of Psalms, David describes this hopeless and helpless situation, but by God's grace, God takes him from a place of insecurity to a place of security. And sometimes we are placed in a pit of iniquity or a pit of despair or a pit of depression or unbelief or even cowardice. And you'll remember, why is Jeremiah in this pit? Because he's done something wrong. Because he's done something wicked, because he's done something evil, because he messed up, because he dishonored or he disobeyed God. Or was he in the right place at the right time with the right message? He was honoring God. That's not always true of me. I won't speak for you. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a horrible and a difficult situation. And the truth was that horrible or difficult situation was through no fault of your own or it was through some fault of yours. That's what sin will do. It will place us in the deepest, darkest circumstances. But let's continue. Look what happens with Jeremiah's friend. In verse 7 it says, Now Ebed, Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. The gate of Benjamin is that northern gate, probably where the king is holding court, planning strategy, figuring out how you're going to deal with the oncoming army. The name Ebed, Melech, means the servant of the king. Here the word translated eunuch can mean a palace official or he may in fact be a eunuch. Cush is the word that translates Ethiopia. Cush was the ancient land that occupied the southern Nile and the northern Nile. If you've ever been to Egypt and you've ever seen the Nile River, it flows for a great deal of time into the continent of Africa. Ethiopia was the Greek word that was used to describe the land of Cush. And Ethiopia is a Greek word which means the land of the people with the burnt face. These are black people. This Ebed Melech is probably an important person. The people of North Africa traded with the people of the Levant. They traded all kinds of things. And many Ethiopian people became rich and influential. And whoever this man is, he has a huge influence with the king. So much so that he's willing to go against Jeremiah's enemies. He heard that they had put Jeremiah into the dungeon. And do you know what this man does? His heart is filled with compassion. You know, someone has defined compassion as your pain in my heart. But sometimes compassion requires courage. 
Edgar Guest wrote this poem about courage. He said, courage isn't a brilliant dash, a daring deed in a moment's flash. It isn't an instantaneous thing born of despair with a sudden spring. But it's something deep in the soul of man that is working always to serve some plan. And Ebed Melech feels very bad that Jeremiah is in the situation that he's in. But he's not content to just simply feel bad. And sometimes we feel bad about a person's circumstance. We see a single mother struggling to survive. We see a person in the depths of poverty. We see people racked by disease. It says, Ebed Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying in verse 9, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. Look what compassion does. It provokes courage, and then Ebed Melech is willing to tell the truth. What Jeremiah's foes have done is wicked. What they've done to the prophet Jeremiah is wrong. They've cast him into the dungeon, and he's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there's no bread in the city. Now think about it. The city is under siege. They're already on reduced ration. Compassion will motivate us to act for those who can't act for themselves. Suffering. Orphans, widows, prisoners, the brokenhearted, the backslidden, the diseased, the hungry, the homeless, the handicapped, the depressed, the divorced, the dying. And it says in verse 10, then the king commanded Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah, the prophet, out of the dungeon before he dies. Now, I want you to think. How Ebed, Melech, becomes like a type and a picture of Jesus. Ebed, Melech, moved with compassion, seeks and succeeds in rescuing Jeremiah from the pit to save him from death. A death that was gruesome, isolated, starving. Now think, like Jesus who who comes to seek and save the lost. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus says, I haven't come to save the righteous, but to seek and to save that which is lost. He dies on our behalf. He delivers us from the wrath to come, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus sees our circumstances and moved with compassion decides that it's a good idea for you not to go to hell. And it's a good idea for you to go to heaven. And it's a good idea for you to experience forgiveness and hope. Now also, look what else. Ebed Melech acts according to the words of the king. And Jesus acts according to the king of heaven. In John chapter 17, verse 4, 4, it says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus said, everything that I do, my father has told me to do. Now, Ebed Melech has less than a perfect king. But he acts on the words of the king. 
And in verse 11, it says, so Ebed Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from their old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. I want you to think about even that statement, because he's probably already been into this pit for a very, very long time. And his skin has started to erupt and ulcerate. Can you imagine the amount of pain that it's going to take to just simply deliver him from the pit? The pit? And so the, by compassion, Ebed Melech sends pieces of rag and pieces of cloth so that he can bind up his wounds. Jeremiah is saved from the miry pit by acting according to the instructions that were given to him. Ebed Melech says, put these under your arms so I can lift you out of this pit. The reason why this becomes important for you and for me is because this is exactly how we are saved. We are saved when we do exactly what the Lord asks us to do. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Imagine that you are in the pit and Jesus calls to you and says, stick these rags under your arms so I can lift you up. In verse 13, so they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. I've used this illustration in the past. A man fell into a ditch. The realist. That's a ditch. The optimist, things will get better. Pessimist, things will get worse. Christian scientist, you only think you're in a ditch. Newspaper reporter, I'll pay you for the exclusive story about your life in the ditch. City official, do you have a permit for that ditch? Mathematician, I'll calculate the length and the depth and the width of that ditch. Preacher, I see three things about this ditch that are noteworthy. IRS agent, have you paid your taxes for the ditch? A man, give me your hand. By the way, the man's name was Jesus. Jesus doesn't philosophize or theologize. He reaches down and lifts you up and places your foot on a rock. And look what it says in verse 14. From verses 14 to 28, by the way, this is Jeremiah's final meeting with King Zedekiah. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. I want you to understand what you've already read and where we're at. Once again, the king seeks counsel from Jeremiah. This isn't the first time the king has sought counsel from the prophet. But it will be the last time. Once again, the king hopes that the message has changed. Jeremiah, any news? Are you willing to tell me? 
that God is going to smite the armies of, Bab- of the Babylonians? Are you willing to tell me that everything's going to work out? Everything's going to be fine. The city doesn't have to collapse and, and nobody has to die. Tell me, tell me, tell me that the message has changed. Verse 15. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, you will not listen to me. It's a hard situation, isn't it? When a person asks you to tell them the truth, but they're not interested in the truth. When a person asks you, tell me what you think. Tell me what God thinks about this situation. Tell me what you have to say. Peter Marshall, who was a chaplain for the United States Senate, wrote, A man is a fool when he dies for his opinions, and a man is a saint when he stands for his convictions. Give us clear vision that we may know where to stand and what to stand for, because unless we stand for something, we shall fall for anything. And so Jeremiah understands It says in verse 16, so Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah saying, as the Lord lives who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Now, you need to understand something. Zedekiah swears a solemn oath that he will not put Jeremiah to death or allow his enemies to kill him. I'm going to ask you a question. Would you trust a weak-willed, spineless jellyfish to keep his word? It's pretty tough to do, isn't it? Why in the world would Jeremiah trust him? How is it even possible that Jeremiah could even possibly believe that even this weak-willed king is able to keep his word? Now, I want to contrast something for you just for a moment. Zedekiah is a weak-willed, spineless jellyfish. But in this particular instance, he's going to keep his word. Jesus... Do you think that Jesus is a weak-willed, spineless jellyfish? One king is a coward, and the other king is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Jesus is strong. The wicked king Zedekiah assures Jeremiah that he will not be put to death. But I need to remind you of something that a stronger king, Jesus, assures us that we will never perish. In in John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, it says, And I have given them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Remember Jesus when he's standing at the tomb of Lazarus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live. If a weak-willed, compromised king can keep his word, can you imagine even for a moment that Jesus won't keep his word? Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, 
the God of Israel. If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire and your house shall live. Do you understand what's happening? Jeremiah has undergone unbelievable torture. Unbelievable sacrifice. Unbelievable hardship. Unbelievable pain. Unbelievable suffering. And you you might ask the question, Lord, why did you put him through that kind of pain and that kind of misery and that kind of suffering? Because God, in his grace and his mercy, is still going to give a weak-willed, cowardly, spineless, jellyfish king one more opportunity to repent. And you would think, okay, It'll be worth it if he repents. But he's not going to repent. Does it shock you or surprise you that God might put you in a position of difficulty and limitation and hardship and suffering? That you might be that person that God has anointed and appointed to be someone's last chance. I suspect that if we took the time, one or two or three or four people here could tell a story about how God placed you in the path of a a man or a woman, young or old, and how God placed you in that path. And you were, for all intents and purposes, the last person that they were going to see. They had no idea that that day was going to be their last day. And Jeremiah still gives him an opportunity to repent. As a matter of fact, look what it says in verse 19. And Zedekiah the king, or verse 18, it says, But if you do not surrender, if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then the city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire. You shall not escape from their hand. He gives the positive and he gives the negative. He gives the full story. He doesn't leave anything to the imagination. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand and they abuse me. We're not told whether these Jews were influenced by Jeremiah's message or if they were exercising common sense. But we get an insight into the heart of the king. He's afraid. He's a coward. Let me ask you a question. Does he fear man more than he fears God? If his response is any indication, it's true. When are we most likely to fear? When we're afraid we're going to lose something. We're going to lose our life. We're going to lose our family. We're going to lose our job. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. We're going to lose. But the Bible says that fear has torment and that perfect love casts out fear or love that's made complete. 
You know what the difference between fear and love is, don't you? Fear is when you lose something involuntarily. Love is where you lose something voluntarily. No, no greater love has this than any man that he's willing to lay down his life for a friend. You can't be afraid that someone will take something from you if you've already given it away. If your life already belongs to God, if your heart already belongs to Jesus, if your present belongs to Jesus, if your future belongs to Jesus. Look what it says in verse 20. But Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver you. Look at what he does. He still holds out hope. No, your fears are unfounded. They shall not deliver you. Please, please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you and your soul shall live. Have you ever pled that kind of a pleading with someone? Look, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Just do what the Bible says. I'm begging you, just honor God in this situation. I'm begging you, leave that sinful, selfish relationship. I'm begging you, don't betray your husband or your wife. I'm begging you, please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you and your soul shall live. But remember what happens. Fear wells up inside of a person's heart and they can't begin to believe even for a moment that the consequences of their sin are going to overwhelm their circumstance. But here's what the Bible says repeatedly. God is gracious and he is kind. He is redemptive and long suffering. And even at this late date, Jeremiah pleads for the life of the king and the life of his family and the life of the city and the life of the nation. Who knows? But that God may send you to plead with someone for their soul. The king's reminded that Jeremiah, by Jeremiah, that the Lord cares for him. And sometimes we need to remind people, even in the most difficult and wicked and sinful circumstances where judgment seems imminent, we can't always tell them that there's no consequences for their sin. But can we always tell them that God is good and gracious and kind and obedience is better than wickedness? And if 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 ever there was a time to turn from sin, it's now. And if ever there was a time to do what's right, it's now. Martin Luther said courage faces fear and thereby masters it. Cowardice represses fear and is thereby mastered by it. And verse 21 But if you refuse to surrender, this is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now, behold, all the women who are left in the king of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, your close friends have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk in the mire and they have turned away again. Do you know what is happening? The prophet is employing poetry. That statement 
your close friends or your trusted friends. It's an idiomatic expression in the Hebrew language. It means the men of peace. And so by that, it means it's not the people who are out to hurt you or harm you. These are the people that you count close and that you count trusted. Your feet have sunk in the mire and make no mistake about it. The irony is not lost on the king. Because I suspect that even at that moment, Jeremiah reeks. Have you ever smelled someone who's fallen into a sewage pit? And there he is, broken, hurt, covered with mud, covered with filth. Barely alive, pleading for the king. Euripides, in his poem, The Trojan Women, sang a similar song. The Greek poet wrote, And forth, lo, the women go, the crown of war, the crown of woe, to bear the children of the foe, and weep, weep for Ilion. Jeremiah is describing a circumstance where your wives are taken away, where your children are taken away. In verse 23, so they shall surrender all your wives and your children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon. If you're not going to surrender for yourself, surrender for your family. Think about your wife. Think about your children. Think about their future. You shall not escape from their hand, but shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. I I need you to understand in part what is taking place. Jeremiah is laying the future of the city on the king's shoulders, saying, I need you to exercise the authority that's been entrusted to you by God. Act like a responsible leader. In verse 24, then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, let no one know of these words and you shall not die. What's happening? He has no intention of repenting and he has no intention of turning and he has no intention of giving up. The king provides a cover story for the prophet. Okay, this is how this is going to go down. This is how I need you to communicate it. Let no one know of these words and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you and they come to you and say to you, declare to us now what you have said to the king and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he would not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. The king rejects his counsel. And the last few days and the last few weeks of his life, he will remain a coward. He will remain fearful. He will remain spineless. John Wayne used to say, courage is being scared to death and getting into the saddle anyway. He knows that there's a fight, but he's going to get on the horse 
And he's going to go forward. And sometimes you know that there's going to be a fight. But you're going to have to get on the horse. And you're going to have to go forward. Then all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him. And he told them according to all these words that the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him for the conversation had not been heard. Apparently these princes buy the cover story. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken. And he was there when Jerusalem was taken. Jeremiah will go back to the court of the prison. And when the Chaldean army and the Babylonian soldiers storm the city and burn the city, they'll capture Jeremiah. But what will they do with him? We're going to see that later in chapter 39. In the end, Ebed-Melech sought to rescue and save Jeremiah from the pit, to save him from starvation. He acted according to the word of the king. Ebed-Melech provided a way to lift him out of the pit. Ebed-Melech will be rewarded, by the way, in chapter 39, verses 16 through 18. We're going to see that this servant of God acting with compassion according to the word of God, his courage is going to be rewarded. Why is that important to you? Because all those who trust in Jesus will be rewarded, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, with all spiritual blessings. You may not be rewarded today, and you may not be rewarded tomorrow, but make no mistake about it. There is in heaven treasure. Laid up for the person who trusts Jesus and puts their confidence in him. Next week, we will see the adventures of Jeremiah continue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the word of God and the word made flesh. Lord, we thank you that Jesus rescued us and saved us from a pit. From starvation. That Jesus acted according to the word of, of the heavenly king. That Jesus provided a way to lift us up from the pit. And that Jesus will be crowned. And that Paul is right when he says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, like Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, Lord, we pray that we would remind ourselves that there is a throne in heaven and we are seated in heavenly places because Jesus, our Savior, will be exalted forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.